Welcome to These Lads Are Mental. My name is Gary. And I'm Neil. And our podcast is a lighthearted approach to normalise mental health. But before we start today's show, please listen to our disclaimer. This show is just a group of opinions and is not to be treated as medical advice. If you are struggling with mental health, please speak to your physician or reach out to a service such as Lifeline. Thank you. These Lads Are Mental recognises the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation as the custodians and traditional owners of Sydney. We pay respect to their ancestors and elders, past and present, and value their continuing connection to lands, living culture, and integral contribution to the bright and inclusive future of this beautiful city that we call home. On this week's show, we've got David O'Connor. David is an absolute inspiration. Family man, he is a high-level CEO. His family also had one of the biggest civil engineering companies in New South Wales. He also has donated over a million dollars to mental health charity and has some outrageous goals for 2022 and beyond to generate a million dollars per year for mental health charity. He is just a top guy. And as I said, the real inspiration, and we really think you're going to enjoy the show. Yeah, that's a long drive, that, mate. Five and a half hours. Have you always been down the South Coast, or do you still live in Sydney? I was in Sydney. I've been in Sydney my whole life. So, um, yeah, I got, oh, out of, okay. got out of Sydney two years ago. So it's been a good change, been a good balance. Just the kids, it's very much more outdoor sort of environment. Right. And country, it's like uh, it's 10 minutes for a place called Bega where they make the cheese. Oh, um, yeah. So is that how you, you say know, that? Is, that? is that a G? I thought it was a Q. <laughs> <laughs> I would call it Becca. <laughs> <laughs> Did you really? I, th- I thought it was a cue because a little line just stops at the bottom of the branding. I just thought it was a cue. <laughs> well, there you go. I have a funny, it's a bit of a dirty story, but when I first came to Australia, I was in Melbourne. We were having a house party. It was literally like within the first couple of months and there was a load of Irish people there. And there's a saying in Ireland, like if you're single and you go to a party and let's say there's loads of women there, single people, you go, oh, there's a load of gay at the party. And then the guy was like, what should I bring? And someone said, oh, yeah, like, don't worry about anything. There's loads of ghee. And then when he came to the party, he brought like a block of, you know, the ghee. It's like margarine. And he's like, oh, mate, I told you, look, loads of ghee. And I was like, oh, Oh my God. And then, and then this was like, honestly, this was like three weeks in Australia. We were doing a barbecue. And of course, the guy that was supposed to bring a portable barbecue, barbecue didn't come. So we had to cook everything in like the oven. So we're cooking like burgers and everything like a couple of hours in a row. And obviously when you smash something like that for so long, it's probably not the best thing. The next thing, the oven caught on fire and the whole like the whole thing came up and we had to ring the fire brigade. So the fire brigade came in, had to evacuate the whole house and like rip the oven out of the wall. Okay. <laughs> Just like week two of Australia. And then someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, in Australia, you've got to pay for emergency services when they come out to your house. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Australia. Spot the immigrant. <laughs> uh, that was just a bit we'll of a preamble, on. you know. Uh, very good. So, hi, David. Welcome to These Lads Are Mental. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I can see a noticeable difference in you since the last time we've met, and that's the hair. Yeah, mate. Uh, it's the only lo- young bit left, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For anyone, well, we're obviously on audio, so you can't see anything, but David has some gorgeous red curly locks going on. It's kind of very... Matt Cocknell. Matt Cocknell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got a couple of comparisons uh, lately. Yeah, there's a, a character in Game of Thrones, a 
had a beard, but it's a bit great. <laughs> I, I can't think what his name is now, but um, he's from the north. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know who that is. I can't remember his name. I know who you're talking about. But uh, no, it's a bit of fun. Keeps me trying to feel a bit younger. Alex class, mate. Looking suave. <laughs> we're, even, we're even getting way ahead of ourselves. Uh, I sent Gary a link to the Webby Awards, which is this like massive, like huge awards thing. I was like, I reckon we should put us in there. <laughs> we I didn't notice that. I read that link and I thought, oh yeah, cool. There's obviously quite a lot of podcast awards, but then I realised in our category, it was like Russell Brand. It was like, a, <laughs> a run, it was like fourth place. I was thinking, mate, I don't think we're quite there yet. <laughs> yeah, we're up against Joe Rogan, Russell Brand, you know. <laughs> Uh, Tim Ferriss, watch out, guys. Here comes <laughs> Gary. <laughs> Obviously, David, pleasure to have you on here, mate. Probably the best place to start is for anyone listening is just for you to give us a bit of insight into who you are and probably why you reckon we've got you on the show, which, of course, we know. But it'd be good to know a bit about yourself, where you're from, what you currently do. Yeah, great. Well, look, I'm born and raised in Australia. Both my parents are from Ireland. Uh, dad's from Kerry, mum's from Dublin. And I, we, we ran a, a civil business, a family business since 1980. And I've been in the business over 25 years now, and uh, me and my brother. And mental health was something we started focusing on back in 2014. And we started sponsoring a charity called Batir because they focus on young people and getting rid of stigma around mental health. My auntie worked at a house back, back home in Ireland and got us involved in that. And so we started supporting the Darkness into Light Walk. And that's where I uh, met the boys, the McGees that run the light ball and uh, Neil. And, you know, we just kind of got talking and we, we started to do a bunch of things together. And so we've now you know, set up a long-term relationship around the light ball. And, uh, and our business has been through quite a rocky road too. So we, we got bought by a big public entity and subsequently they went broke. We ended up buying our business back. We had quite a challenging situation where the people in our business had had a lot of change and evolution and we decided if we were going to buy the business back it needed to be employee driven employee focused and so we we started off by you know establishing just four core values and a vision and, and one of them was around where we care for people's well-being so that's been a cornerstone of how we you know restarted what is now quite a large business across Australia and New Zealand and that's been really key and and what we've done with the light ball and also what we've been doing with the tier have been core to that and so now we've just established a, a five-year strategy around building events across all of Australia and New Zealand to raise funds for mental health and also for tier. We run two events in uh, every state is the is the vision and one of them is around creating conversations um, and getting people involved and the second one's around raising funds so uh, which is the light ball. So we've just recently established a five-year partnership with the, with the boys from the light ball uh, and we're going to take it across Australia and New Zealand over that period so that's pretty exciting, and obviously, you know, it's a, it's a great topic, and it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, it's, it's a real pleasure to be involved in it. David, so quick question. So is, is Diona still Diona, or has that changed name? Or No, so it's still Diona, but we've got another business called Calibre, and then we've got a third business called Seven Gen, which is around renewables. Just to treat businesses, three. you know, no big deal, you know. Renewable <laughs> yeah, energy, uh, mental health, brilliant. Uh, ed- edging toward 2,000 people. So it's a pretty, there's a lot of people there. And, and again, the beauty of that is we've got so many people that if we can get them all, you know, focused on, you know, this cause, we can make a really big difference. And, and, that, and that's what it's about. So our, our vision, our purpose for, our, for all three businesses is enabling communities to thrive. And that's really comes back to the core of how do we make a difference in the community? You know, we affect lots of schools, we affect lots of, we build communities and we want to kind of take this this concept around we care for people's well-being uh, into everything that we do and yeah it's it's a really cool opportunity and you know if we can pull it off it'll be a, a legacy that we can be proud of you know 
Well, we have invited the McGee brothers on, so they, they're busy lads and you know what they're like, but they, they're threatening to pop in at, at any point of the call. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we'll, make, we'll, we'll make an appearance, but if not, we can, we can do them justice when we chat about the light bulb maybe later on. But I did want to mention the Pieta House, which you mentioned, and the, just for anyone that's listening, it, that's a, an Irish uh, organization and that started back in Ireland because if you had mental health and you had a condition, there was nowhere for you to go, essentially. And they started literally out of a house where people could come, you know, stay there if they needed to get food and just like start the whole uh, pathway. And that's one of the things David, we've spoken about, which is definitely getting better, but it's actually part of our things to maybe look at is like create some kind of a pathway for people that if you do have some kind of mental health condition, like what can you do? Where can you go? Who can you go see? You know, because there's not really a pathway for people right there. So Pieta House was quite innovative in that sense, in terms of it started to be that first step on the ladder for people to try and go and seek some help. I find, I was just going to say, just to jump ahead, David, I find it interesting that you said you started all the sort of mental health stuff in 2014. I mean, for me personally, that feels like, like you're quite ahead of the, the sort of eight ball in terms of everyone else. I feel like in the last maybe three or four years, it's really came to the surface. But I think 2014, did you find that there wasn't really a lot going on in terms of mental health awareness at that point? No, I don't think it's as core as it is now. Um, it is much more, you know, uh, mainstream, I suppose, or normal to really yeah. put effort into this. But yeah, look, back then, my, my experience was I uh, actually had, we've done a lot of uh, support around uh, cancer institutes and like I've had a history of some uh, cancer issues and, you know, that was great. But uh, to me, I felt like mental health uh, and the, the, the traumas that come out of it affect people's health and it causes things like cancer, heart disease. And it, it goes to the core of an awful lot of health issues that people face. And we were really keen to focus on something that focused on prevention rather than cure. And to me, prevention is about stigma. It's the fact that, you know, our inability to ask for help because we're concerned about the stigma around being mentally unwell or having a, a, a tough period what that means and what people will think of us and it makes it really hard for people to ask for help and so in our view we thought well, we can focus on stigma and if we can get rid of stigma in young people you know that's you know that's really cool and what's fantastic I've just actually supported Batir on they've just reached their 10-year milestone so there's kids that went through those programs 10 years ago that are now adults and for me it's really cool to think that there's now a new generation out there in their, their mid-20s that you know doesn't have stigma around mental health it's like a broken arm or a sniffle you go to the doctor you ask for help uh, you get help and you don't have to have all that you know weight around what does it mean or what will people think of me and that's just so important that's great that's amazing. and uh, we, we've actually we interviewed nick brown from the tier on he was our first guest interview seems like ages ago now gary but uh three months ago you know we're huge supporters of the tier as well and i, I didn't think about it like that before actually around that next generation and like often it's it's difficult to see how you can fix a problem but if you just start with a generation it's it's amazing how quickly you can flick the switch but i want to take just a quick step back so you know we've spoken briefly about diona you mentioned your irish heritage so could you tell us a little bit about what was that like you know parents from ireland come to a place like australia and then setting up from a civil point of view like one of the biggest businesses in new south wales or is it australia could you tell us about that story a bit yeah, yeah. So look, yeah, mum and dad met uh, back then. It was the Catholic Club in Burwood was where all the Irish people used to hang out. And that's where they met. I think before they got married, they'd set up the business already. 
you know, it operated out of the house. Uh, Dad had a backhoe. His uncle actually had a, a civil company over here, but he was somewhat of a, a prick relation, so he didn't really get much of a, get, a go in, um, in in the uncle's company. So pretty stubborn sort of a fellow, so went out and started his own thing. You know, that's where it began. It has been a family company, like my grandfather, my mum's father worked for Dad. My mum's uh, brothers uh, were also worked for, for the business, and then obviously me in different times. But it was very hard. Like back then, the community, the Irish community in Australia was, you know, like it is now, very, very tight. But Australia was a much smaller place. You know, you had huge concentrations of Irish populations in certain areas. And that kind of Burwood, Ashfield, Stratford area was one of them. So they got a lot of support from from that community. And, and the business they ended up establishing had a huge presence of Irish people, as did a number of their, their peer businesses in the industry, you know. It's like Italians and concrete. I think it's the farming background, but you know Irish people love taking on risk and they love digging holes and digging, dealing with big gear and diesel fumes. You know, I think that's, I think that's why there's a lot of those sort of Irish contractors out there that do do this sort of uh, utilities and civil game. Well, it's uh, that whole the other whole thing with Irish people. They say like Irish people built in New York. You know those photos of the beams with the lads sitting yeah. with no harnesses. They were all Irish lads. And then I think even the Harbour Bridge in Sydney. I think one of my wife Sue's friends great great granddad was like the main architect behind that but i think a lot of the people who worked on the bridge were irish as well so it's it's yeah it's mad what they've done across the world i think there's like 80 million irish descendants across the globe for a 5 million population it's you know it's a crazy ratio yeah it is and i think you know two attributes of of irish immigrants is one that they, they they're willing to take on hard work but the other thing is they're willing to take risks. They're all very entrepreneurial. And so I think those two things are why we've got an industry that's got such a strong heritage in Australia around around Irish people. So Yeah, do you know what's interesting from a cultural point of view? I don't know if we mentioned this before, but when I was back in Ireland, if you needed to go to like the dentist or anything like that during the day, you'd have to put in like a timesheet, like, you know, to get an hour off unless it was at your lunchtime. Or if you pull the sickie or something like that, like the next day your boss will be standing over you, breathing, going, what's wrong with you? You look fine. And then I came to Australia and I was like, you know, people just wouldn't come in on Monday. It's like, oh, I'm just popping out to... Send a text. Just send a text. Not coming in today. Yeah, you send a text at <laughs> 10 minutes to nine going, I'm not going to be in today. And I actually think the latter is, I mean, obviously if people take the piss, that's not good, but... It's such a better culture over here. I mean, but having said that, Irish people, you're dead right when you come over here, have this work ethic of they work until the job gets done. Like they don't clock watch, you know, it's not like, oh, it's five o'clock, I'm going to knock off. You kind of, you have it ingrained in you. Like if, if this job has to get done, I'm just going to do it. And they'll come in on weekends and they'll do all kinds of sorts. So yeah, it is a definitely a good trait of us Irish people. Well, it is. And I think it's also one of the biggest challenges for Irish people. I, I grew up working with a lot of those kind of Irish guys that worked on Snowy Hydra and those iconic projects. And, you know, I inherited a lot of those attributes where you you constantly got this. For me, I think the lesson I've gotten out of that is Irish people are susceptible to mental health issues because of the amount of pressure, and I'll use the word stigma, that they place on themselves around what work ethic looks like, what it means to be a good worker. There's also this kind of respect thing that we have for each other. And we don't speak out of school. We tend to, you know, when there's a concern, you're not out there like Australians. They're great at, at vocalising their concerns. And I think as, as a culture, we're generalising, and it's a huge generalisation, but I think our culture is more so to keep our head down and our bum up. And, um, and that doesn't always support great mental health. And I think when we first started taking this focus, for me, that was really clear. When I was cutting my teeth up, you know, 
coming up through the business, I felt like I had to earn my stripes. I had to work harder than everybody else or than yeah. the, the person next to me to get that respect because it was really important and that was what was in my culture or my heritage. But I think ultimately I, I put huge pressure on myself and I ended up having you know, anxiety and issues and it wasn't because of the pressure others were putting on me, it was the pressure I was putting on myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can see lots of young people in our industry, we've got lots of, whether it's professional engineers in the business, young Irish guys, or whether it's people out on site, now they put huge pressures on themselves and they have these expectations that they carry around. Today, we are so much better at, uh, COVID's taught us a lot of things around work-life balance. You know, people are now able, uh, in, particularly in white collar roles, to, you know, if I've got to go to the doctor in the middle of the day, like you said, or those things are now completely acceptable and we all have permission to do that, whereas I think we didn't give ourselves permission previously. But there is still a big gap and it's probably those blue collar uh, people out on site that haven't had that reprieve or those uh, opportunities that things like COVID have brought up and they still do wear an awful lot of pressure around work ethic and how much time they spend on site. Yeah, the construction industry really didn't stop at all. So for most of the rest of us, and I think you're dead right, COVID certainly put mental health on the map in terms of the average Australian and average person in the world, right? Before that, it was, yeah, still early days and it's kind of fast-tracked so quickly now. And even working from home, I worked in an American business before COVID and they did have a work-from-home policy, but whenever someone was working from home, there was always that little, mm, you know, was he on the beer last night or like, what's going on? Whereas once COVID came in, and everyone had the, you know, the technology and the setup, that all just went out the window. And now it's just become a normality, which is really good. But then construction barely ceased, right? So they were carrying the burden of COVID and providing and, you know, all that kind of stuff and that fierce factor. But they still had to get out and work eight, 10 hours a day, you know, like, yeah, it's like they were under a lot of stress in the industry. And did you see that from working in it, like did that elevate, you know, amongst your staff over the last two years, maybe more than the average person? Absolutely. Uh, I think, and but I, I also think, you know, people in those white collar professional roles, and we have a lot of those people in our business, they have a, an outlet and a voice to voice their concerns. They get hurt and, and, you know, management and others, leaders respond to those concerns. But again, I still think there's a huge cone of silence that sits uh, around what people are doing out on site. And in those, you know, uh, hardcore, uh, you know, hardcore blue-collar roles, they're not getting the levels of support, and the, and the stress levels are incredibly high. Um, mm-hmm. I think I know across our whole business, while everything's been going really well, people just they really need a break. It's been a long two years, and just getting in front of their families and outlets they had haven't been there. It's the first time actually since I've like I've been here nearly ten years. It's the first time in that whole time that I've heard Australians say, I just cannot wait for Christmas. Because I think normally in Australia, not that every day is a holiday here, but you can just go two hours down the coast and here in Sydney and you hit Jervis Bay, you can go to the Hunter for a weekend. Like a lot of times like, I feel like we have a really nice balance of life here in Australia generally. But this year it feels like everybody is at that complete boiling point. When lockdown 2.0 or 6.0, if you're in Melbourne hit, people were just, I think, this Christmas is probably like the biggest Christmas ever in terms of that chance for people to to recharge. And again, thinking of the construction industry and then imagine if you're an Irish guy who they don't complain, like I'm thinking of my dad never complained a day in his life and he worked so he's worked so hard. And then in the construction industry where generally I think people don't complain either, they just get on with it. And for Irish people, it was always the kind of 
let's just get on with it. You know, you, you have a beer at the end of the day and that was your way of getting over it. So when you compound all that together, yeah, I mean, I've never thought about the construction industry, but they've probably had it. Some industries have had it where they haven't had any work and that's a whole different problem where construction has had the other end of the spectrum, probably too much work and holding all that pressure uh, compared to everybody else. Yeah, and I think there's that culture too. Um, it's, it's a human culture, but it's definitely an Irish one, which is make hay while the sun shines. And while there's plenty of work to be done, everyone wants, you know, jams in and gets it done. And, you know, it's been a long two years without a break. So it is definitely an issue. And can you tell us, you mentioned the goal that Diana had with the tier. So can you talk us through what that goal is? And right now, where are they? Have they hit it? Or are they on the way? Or Yeah, yeah. So back in 2015, we said, look, by 2020, we wanted to reach a goal of raising a million dollars for Batir. Um, and it was with the support of uh, you know, groups like the Lightball, we were able to you know, take an event and, and, and go bigger, um, you know, have been a huge part of that support. Um, and um, we raised a million dollars by 2020. Uh, so that was that was really cool. Um, got to hand them over a big novelty check. But um, uh, <laughs> now we, we, we've refocused on, um, you know, where to from here. And um, $2 million. <laughs> well, I really think um, once we hit our straps, we're probably a million dollars a year is what we could do. Um, wow. Off this. Wow. So by, by, you know, uh, we've we kind of established that goal. It's probably more of a 2026 goal. So, you know, if we can get these two events in every state up and running, um, uh, you know, we've also focused on, we want to focus on Batir, but we also want to focus on uh, other local charities. Um, so you know, there's some great examples of where there's, you know, uh, we, we want to make it something that's a bit more nimble so that the people that run the committees in each of the locations can drive, you know, some of the, the regional and, and local issues. So Batir is a focus and we're saying, look, two thirds will go to Batir, but the other third will, let's go find a local charity that, support this initiative around taking care of people's well-being and um, and and see what we can do so I think look you know we've we've been a bit slow to start with the whole COVID environment but next year is quite a big year for us we're, look, we're looking at um, uh, community events in kind of March April in um, was it Sydney Brisbane uh, potentially Adelaide Canberra and Perth um, and uh, by the end of the year we're really hoping for light balls in um, Sydney, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Perth. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty big step up from where we all are now. Um, and that's pretty exciting. But, you know, the following year, uh, chuck a couple more states in there and a couple more events. And uh, I think we're comfortably delivering a million dollars of, of funds a year to, to this cause. Phenomenal, mate. Phenomenal. Yeah. Well, we might go, we should put really a donation button or something on our on our website and page, you know, to kind of help you guys out. Um, every yeah, every five dollars a week. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think the main thing is, you know, it's about supporting the light bulb. We've got a great uh, uh, cause there, but we're, uh, we're uh, for your Sydney viewers. We're looking to run potentially something like a community fun day. So you know, just you know, barbecue, maybe a little digger that people can do a competition on, you know, tug of wars or whatever. It's kind of a bit of fun and and get you know all sorts of uh, people from the community involved. Um, and just raise a bit of awareness and, and have a laugh, uh, but also to kind of raise awareness for that that light ball event later in the year. So that that's the aim. Yeah, and the light ball, which we've spoken about in the very first episode, Gary and I just kind of had a chin wag as a bit of a pilot. So people, uh, listeners to the show will already know about it. But in its at the height of his game pre-COVID, I think we had a thousand people at one of the balls which is unreal to think like a thousand people at a black tie ball all supporting mental health. And what's that statistic? Like the average person will tell something 
or if they've done so if they have a positive experience they'll tell at least 10 people so there's like 10,000 people like just with one night not to mention all the lead up in socials and so on we actually were trying to always put a figure on what our reach was but you know you could argue that it was maybe you know 50,000 plus across the whole year in the lead up maybe even 100,000 which is like again we often say like oh you know it's not gonna things aren't gonna make a difference i'm too small but like by you going and getting your bum on a seat or something like that it really can make a difference and i remember the stories we would get of how people like saving people's lives because they finally found somewhere that they could be a belong you know and could open up so yeah it, it really is a credit and even with the light ball in sydney it's kept going during covid they did a smaller events i think um the first the first year of covid and then i think they even did a, a catch up last year as well so yeah just a phenomenal group of people um so hopefully how is it going to happen in 2022 is there a date yet or is it still working through it uh i know so it'll definitely happen in 2022 nothing will stop us um so and i think there is a huge amount of uh, energy uh and, and there's lots of people that want to get involved so we we nearly rushed one in before Christmas in the hope we'd get a gap in COVID, but uh, COVID kind of squashed it in the end. Um, but no, look, absolutely. And I, I couldn't agree more with you. Whenever you have any of these events, I think Darkness and Delight is another great example where the amount of conversations a session like that would create amongst people, uh, whether because they're going to it or they're, someone in their family knows they're going to it or um, mm. or just conversations they have during what happens uh, on, well, in the event. Correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, but... That's where you, well, the, the light bulb first found you or vice versa, right? Because you were in the darkness into light first, right? Could you tell people about what that is in case they don't know what? Yeah, yeah. So look, uh, darkness to light, obviously, it's an event that Piedra House started. And obviously, like you said, you know, there's Irish people all over the globe. And so, um, you know, morphing that event into a, a global event uh, was something that happened quite naturally. Um, and look, I love the concept of the darkness into light and, and, and the, what the event created. Um, and so... I think they had their first one in 2014 from memory. And um, there was a bit of a, it, it, there was a lot of pressure on individuals to get that event up and running. And so I saw a gap and we hopped in as a business because we had lots of heads and many hands make light work and um, kind of got that up and running and then took more of a role nationally uh, to kind of make it easier for um, volunteers to be part of that event. And so I got a good bit of structure in there and were able to support Pieta House. Um, Osric, look, we're not as involved in that event anymore, uh, and that's because we're really concentrating our efforts uh, in this particular uh, issue and, and being able to make a, a broad event that's really locally focused. I think, you know, one of the challenges is Pieta House supports Irish people because they've got that familiarity from back home. Um, but uh, when they're here and when they become, you know, um, you know, residents in Australia, it's about really getting that local content. We want a really diverse group of people being involved where we bring that, get the strength out of that Irish community, but also pull in all the other communities so we can make a much bigger difference. Um, and that's where we're going with this event now. Yeah, that is that is a challenge for charities is generally, you know, where people are donating and then they don't know where the, the funds go. And even though Pieta House was an amazing organisation, I know the lads at the light bulb were kind of like, we want the money to stay here and help like local Australians because they're the ones we're kind of representing on that behalf. So, um, but yeah, I think it's, the darkness into light the, the amazing thing about that is it's such a simple idea it's you know you start a walk before sunrise in may so it's dark and then by the time you finish the walk which is five i think it's five kilometers um is it's bright so it's like sunny so you're kind of walking from dark into light and 
I actually think they'd Arkansas into light because that was where Will, Mick, I think myself had all gone to that first one and we were we all messaged each other going, this is one of the most amazing things we've ever done. It was just so emotional. It's, it's probably a more heavy-hitting emotional event than, let's say, the light ball because the light ball is about having fun and, you know, you're having a few drinks and whatnot, whereas the darkness into light is, like, we did a minute silence, I think, before every time we went out on it and it was just, wow, like, you could hear a pin drop. And, yeah. and But, you know, even to your point, I think it's credit to you, like, you don't... Sometimes you have to pass the baton on with these things. You know, you can you cannot be involved all the time. You cannot do too many things. So, um, don't beat yourself up because I think like, um, it's the same with me. I was on the light bulb for a while, and then you you know you move on, you pass the baton, and it's time for somebody else to take it to the next level. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I think one of the things that you've got to be really, oh, we're certainly very passionate about, is you double down on what your passion is. Sometimes you've got to be willing to, um, you know, give up some of the peripheral things because you, you, you know what the core focus and vision is and to go go give it everything and get the most out of it, you've just got to give it all of your commitment. And so that's what we're doing. So I'm stepping away from that, David, and going towards you as an individual. I know you've obviously had your own mental health story. Would you, would you be okay getting into a bit more detail with that for the listeners? Yeah. Absolutely. So, look, um, uh, I, I've been a pretty senior role at a, at a young age and took on a lot of responsibility. I was really eager to succeed and uh, put a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, when I was uh, 29, um, I was the general manager for the business, but I was also running a project in Victoria. And, um, you know, there was a lot, a lot on the plate. And I got, I got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, that was quite a shock. Um, I think it was my body telling me that um, uh, I needed to change some things. Um, Unfortunately, I didn't really listen. Uh, so as soon as I got over that, I got straight back into it. And uh, a year later, I got it back. Um, and I think at that stage, I'd actually started to have, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I had some anxiety attacks. Um, and um, I started to look at, you know, doing things to help my mental health. I started, you know, meditating. And uh, and what I found was uh, that really helped. Um, unfortunately, I didn't really use that power for good. Um, I saw that I could actually get more out of myself uh, by doing, taking on these sorts of practices and techniques. And so it was just a way to supercharge what I was already doing. Um, we then, you know, decided to sell the business um, because um, uh, it made sense for our people, provided bigger opportunities. We could become part of something bigger, but it, it supercharged stress levels in our work environment. Um, and, uh, I basically ran into a brick wall. I got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for the third time during that process. Oh. Um, we tripled our business during that time. That's when I started helping Pieta House um, and uh, and Bittier. And um, it, it was just a, a time where there was just so much going on. Uh, my health suffered and my, my marriage suffered. Um, and, uh, you know, I was in a complete mess. I, I had some really significant mental health challenges. And... Um, my way to deal with that sort of thing was to uh it was like what i did what i did externally you know could help create the change internally with me so what i was doing with those charities um was very external but i still wasn't really focusing on the internal um and for me i've actually since uh our business you know the, the overall business that bought us nearly went broke and so that created a lot of stress as well uh again I'm still dealing with cancer and and, and other things and, um, you know, I hit an all-time low and, um, uh, you know, just was really uh, felt very alone um, and had a lot of issues around my, my anxiety. Um, uh, I was obviously quite exhausted and, and I knew I just needed to stop. Um, and uh, 
after we finished uh, kind of the, the sale process of our business, we'd hit some really significant goals and we um, we got around. We decided I wanted everyone to celebrate and um, we called it reaching the Cranogue. So I don't know what you know, Cranogue is, but back home, oh. a Cranogue is a place where, you know, it's it's like a, a safe haven, uh, a big stepping stone. It's often, you know, almost like it's got secret access uh, in the middle of a pond or something. And it was a place of security that you could, you know, defend. Um, and so that was that, that signified a lot of what we'd kind of achieved. Um, and during that process, went to every location that we had in the business and held a big uh, ball event where we raised money uh, for the charities. Um, but I also got up there and I shared my experience um, of, around my mental health. And, um, and the reason why I did is because I felt like um, I always had this kind of appearance on the outside of everything was fine, you know, everything's positive, I'd have a bounce in my step. And I could be dying on the inside and no one would know. And um, what I realized that that create also created an environment in our business and with the people I was working with where um, they felt that pressure. You know, they were under pressure too. They were struggling too. And they were looking at someone like me and saying, well, how can, if he can handle all that and he's still ultra positive and whatever else, um, you know, I must be inferior. Or, and they would put more pressure on themselves. And Ultimately, the pressure I was putting on myself was inadvertently putting huge pressures on other people. And it was only at that point that I could see that. And so I really felt like the veil had to drop uh, and everyone had to know actually someone like me who was leading that business was really struggling. And, and you know, it was to give them permission that they could also struggle too and they could put their hand up and ask for help. Um, and so that's why I go back to the comment I made earlier in the podcast around you know, that Irish culture and that heritage of hard work and earning your stripes and all those things. Um, and, you know, that was the pressure I was putting on myself. And I feel like uh, as a community, but also definitely my work community and the broader community, we need to give ourselves permission to drop the veil, say, you know, uh, we all need help. We all deal with these sorts of challenges. Um, and it's okay not to be okay. Um, and so look, that, that's kind of my journey. That's why I'm here. Uh, I'm very lucky now. I've, I've actually really slowed down in the business, I, I, I chair the board. I no longer essentially run the business day to day. I get to have, have passion projects where I dive in and uh, cause all sorts of havoc, but um, I can step out from that. And I, I've moved to the far south coast with my family. Um, you know, I'm not in the hustle and bustle. Uh, we've got a life that's outdoors and, and I've got a lot more time uh, with my family. Um, and it's been great. And I've given myself permission to do it, um, which has been fantastic. Nice, super help, mate. That's amazing. Yeah, we were. We've had a we had a guy called Hugo on a few episodes ago who who survived cancer twice, but I think you've now beat him. You've three times. Three, two, three, two, that's three two, three two, David. Three two to David. Back to you. Here we go. Well, no, no, not back to you. I was very, very lucky. Look, the sort of cancer I had was, you know, uh, one of the ones that you know you can manage. It's not like one of those ones where you go, you got you know, ninety days to live, but it's mm. also not curable. So I've got to deal with it for the rest of my life, and it's a constant. Oh, really? reminder of the fact that I need to take care of myself um, because I want to be here for my kids and I want to be here for people I love and you know it's a great reminder um, but even then I could still forget it so um, I get excited by shiny things and you know I get very passionate about things quite easily and so I've got to keep myself in check but um, now look I again uh, my health is in, I'm in the best health I've been in a, in a very long time um, and you know getting involved in events like this where there's just so much goodwill and, and positive energy um, you know, is a real you know uh, value add to to my life. 
we can we can confirm that David is in a stationary position, so he is very calm and relaxed as we do this podcast. Um, but I love that that statement you said. I've never heard it like that before. Like the the realization that the energy that you were projecting was actually rippling onto your employees, and that is that for me was that that's like a real aha moment because if you're the CEO or the boss you're actually promoted with culture and society to do the opposite, to be that legend, that strong person who works at their ass off and then that inspires everybody else. And I just think that's amazing how you, I've never thought of it that way before, that in actual fact, that can actually start the complete opposite effect on those who are working with it within your business. So, yeah, wow. Well, it's, it's actually, um, since I've slowed down um, and I get to look at all the, leaders in our business and we've got a lot of young people that are you know very very hard working very similar to the sort of things I've described uh, and I feel a huge uh, responsibility to those people to, to help them learn the lessons that I've learned without having to learn them the hard way um, and it is the cliche it's very hard um, to teach people uh, those lessons they have to to some extent go through them themselves but I, look I think it, it really comes down to just being genuine um, you know uh, I think for me I found a much more genuine version of my leadership which is you know when it's tough or when it's hard or um, when I'm struggling with something actually just to be really genuine and, and, and you know get in contact with that emotion that's going on the inside because people really thrive on that uh, understanding that you know it's okay to have a bad day uh, it's okay for what we're doing right now to be really challenging um, and it's okay to throw our arms in the air and get you know excited when, when, when we conquer that and I think for us all to be connected to those emotions so that when you know, when we are having a tough time, um, people can see it on your sleeve and you're more uh, able to get that help um, because people notice. And I've had people come up and say when I get particularly emotional about a topic, say, oh, Dave, I know you're a bit revved up in that meeting. You know, how you going? I'm like, actually, if I was to go back five or so years, they would have never known. Um, so for me, that's, you know, it's a positive sentiment that I'm much more in contact with that and, and therefore taking care of my health. One, one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, I'll just, just sort of off, it's on topic, but off the script sort of thing is, I mean, mate, personally, from, from listening to you, mate, I, mean, I wasn't fully aware of you until Sully mentioned you, so you're obviously quite low-key, but the things you're talking about, I mean, I, I absolutely admire what you've done, mate. You've been successful in your own field. You've been had the self-awareness to, to step away when you had to. You've then got that higher meaning of looking after your family, and then above all that, you're using your success for good and for me that's my that's my personal goal for what I do in my field is again tying in this podcast and everything else and mate 100% credit you're an absolute rock star in your industry so credit for that what I'm thinking in my head is there's probably lots of people in your 2021 the whole world's about the grind and the hustle and the, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and all the rest of it what would you because obviously you must have seen a lot in your industry there's probably boys and, and girls in your industry who have who want to have that mentality and just like you were and you can probably see a little bit of yourself in them what advice would you give those sort of people and like what would you advise to be well not necessarily to go and donate to charities and all that sort of thing but if they just want to succeed in their field yeah i think there's two things and i think one thing is that um life is definitely a marathon it's not a sprint um and you know you know when you're feeling that pressure and yourself be like i can't keep this up that's it is because you can't keep it up um and, you know, when you work hard, you've got to have another outlet. So if you're working at 110%, you need to take more leave. You need to take more time off. You need to take care of yourself or you need to have an outlet that, you know, allows you to maintain that balance. Uh, and not everyone's in that position. You know, we're very fortunate in this country and in other countries to have that as an option. There's many people in the world 
that don't have the ability to actually pause and um, and take care of themselves because it's about you know surviving. Um, I think for us, you know, that's really really important that we take that time because we've got the ability to have a quality of life and and it actually goes to your long-term success if you can be consistent um, and steady. Um, that is far more valuable than a flash in the pan. Um, and so it's a, it's a real patience. As young people, we, you know, we struggle to have that patience, but it's so key um, to have that patience. So we can, you know, something that you can do, it's like training, you know, you're training for an event. You can't, you know, train all in the last two weeks. You'll fall over in the event. Um, but, you know, if you train steadily for the 12 months leading up to that, take the right rest, uh, you'll end up being far more successful. And so that is definitely true. Um, and then the other thing is actually just to really be in contact with what's going on on in the inside and be the genuine version of yourself. Because whether that's, you know, uh, whether that's a good day or a bad day, whether you're, you know, super calm and happy or whether you actually fall off your perch and lose your shit, they're all healthy emotions uh, and they actually get to the, uh, the point much quicker. I have a saying, I say it a lot, which is fail fast. Um, so, you know, if you're in contact with that stuff and if, if something's not meant to be, it won't. Um, and that's, that's fine. Um, so it's that acceptance around just being your true self. Um, so they're the two things for me that uh, I think are vitally important. If any of uh, David's employees are listening, please tell us how often he said that uh, tagline. We've we got into that. <laughs> <laughs> all, all the chairman's reports. I, I also love what you just said there as well. We mentioned, well, I don't know if Gary agrees with me, but I hate that term, be the better version of yourself, because then it, it creates this never-ending um, inertia of being content. But you've just said there, I've actually been trying to think of what's a better, <laughs> just a bit of an oxymoron, what's a better version of that actual statement? And you said something there to be a genuine version of yourself. And I was like, wow, that is a cool little way to frame it because it, you're not setting any like goal with that. It's just about you being real, being present, which is what we've talked about so many times on the shows about being present in the moment is better for you in the long run. So I might have to rob that one and <laughs> call it my own. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> I mean, ten, 10 years from now, Saul, you'll be on a podcast going, here's a saying, I say it all the time. Yeah, I can't. Genuine saying. Yeah, <laughs> genuine version of yourself. I'll be on a TED talk going, you know, I just found this idea, and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut this out of the show, don't worry. So there's no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I think a lot of the other things we we're going to talk about, I think we sort of touched on early on. So I would be interested to know when getting away from the work side of things, what do you do in your spare time? Obviously, family's a massive part of your life. You're out in the South Coast. What do you do for fun? What do you do to relax, chill out, what you're interested in? What yeah, are look, those uh, things? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've moved to a, a place in the far South Coast called Tathra, small farming community uh, on the beach. Uh, so we spend a lot of time on the beach doing nippers. Um, there's a lot of mountain bike trails, so I do that. And then we're close to the snow fields. So in winter, we spend a lot of time at the snow. So... For me, that time outdoors um, is, is been really, really important um, because getting connected with nature is one of the best ways to take care of our mental health. I mean, it's one of the reasons why, you know, it's much easier to have a positive mental health in Australia than somewhere, you know, like the other side of the world where we get so much sunshine and that makes such a difference to uh, our mental health. Uh, it's a proven fact. And so for me, it's getting outside and getting connected with nature and, and being with my loved ones. So... Uh, I do have lots of family, uh, you know, that aren't here. So, you know, trying to connect with them is, is really important. Um, and, um, yeah, that's about as simple as it is for me. So I uh, get outside, get an adrenaline rush um, and um, and have fun. It sounds like you don't have this problem, but 
as you said earlier on, there are people in this world that are less fortunate, let's say, than we are here in Australia. And sometimes you you do have to kind of pinch yourself and go, you know, I've been I've been complaining in COVID, going, I haven't been overseas in you know two years. The last time I was away was Vietnam, and you know, I can't wait to get back to Bali or like Fiji. And you're like, God, like you know, they're like beautiful things to do, but in the grand scheme of things, sometimes like you have to really just put yourself into check and go like we're lucky to be like Australia is probably one of the best places in the world to be for COVID. As you said, we had the sun, you could still go to the beach. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes we do have to put ourselves in check, right? Mm. Yeah, well, I think it's gratitude. And I think when you look at uh, other cultures and other nations that are far less um, lucky than we are, a natural culture in, in a lot of those places is this, this form of gratitude. So even though they've mm. got so much less, they are, they are grateful in, in, in many cases for so much more. Um, and, uh, you know, that's something we all need to take. Um, it, it does take a real mindfulness to do that. Um, and I think we've all got room to improve there. Yeah, that's probably a better way to frame it, actually, more from a gratitude standpoint rather than um, what I said earlier on, which was like kind of almost complaining about it. You know, I'm actually really bad at gratitude. Gary, you're better. I know you like write down your achievements and stuff. And um, I think Irish people are a bit like that. Generally, we're not very good at gratitude towards ourselves. So maybe it's more about just like appreciating your where you are rather than trying to, you know, feel bad about it. Or, yeah, because you're right. Like, I, I remember I went to the Philippines and, you know, met guys who had like, you know, soccer jerseys that were ripped on their back that brought us out in boats. And they were like just the happiest guys on earth. Like, and they were just, you know, sometimes you almost feel jealous. You're like, oh, I wish life was a bit simpler, you know, because you wouldn't have all these stresses that we carry, you know, in everyday life. So, yeah, happiness. What's that, what's that little uh, short story? It's like uh, some successful businessman goes out to a, a Spanish fishing village and there's a guy sitting there with his beer, with his fishing rod, and the guy says to him, oh, can we go out in the boat with you? He comes out, he gets lots of fish, and the guy goes, oh, you're amazed at that. He's like, you've got so much fish, why don't you start a bigger business? He's like, well, how do I do that? He's like, well, you get fish, you charge tourists this much money, you get a bigger boat, then you get more fish, and you get the people to work for you. He goes, then what? He goes, then you get a bigger boat, then you go to a national, you make a fortune. He goes, oh, no. he goes, well, then you get to chill out with your beer and fish. He's like, I've been doing that the whole time, mate. I mean, I've been doing that the whole time. I love that story. I, I think I mean, it's, it's absolutely the epitome of, 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 of gratitude and acceptance. Uh, and there's so many other nations that have got this, you know, in their culture is you know, really well understood. Um, I think it's something I love to surround my people, myself with people like that. I've, uh, we just celebrated a 15-year anniversary for, for a lady in our business and, she joined me. English was her second language. She was from Iran. Uh, and uh, she's been in our business 15 years. She's grown with it. She's, But again, she is so grateful for everything that happens to her. And she's one of the most humble people I've ever met. And I just love to spend time around a person like that because for me, it's a, it's a great mirror to look at and say, you know, actually, that's the thing I want to connect to because I think ultimately that's where happiness comes from. So, um, yeah, I think there's two sides to it. Yeah, 100%. I think gratitude is so powerful and we don't we don't appreciate it enough. And there was a huge study over, I think, the course of 30 years that was only released, I think, last year or the year before, which actually showed immigrants perform or give back to the GDP. I think it's twice as the average um, citizen does of any country. And that was, like I think, a global study. And yet, you know, we there's still that stigma in that topic that, you know, letting people in and borders closed and... Da, 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 da. But if you give someone a second chance at life, 
they're going to repay you back in throws. So like, I just, yeah. Oh God, that's a whole nother podcast that we need to set up about, but I wish we, I wish we could welcome more people into this country because it's such a huge country. Like you said, it was, it was a small country maybe back 20, 30 years ago, but there's such a vast amount of space here and there's so much innovation going on and we, we have room for more, you know? So. And I, I wanted to ask one question, David. I mean, as Gary said earlier on, your your story in itself is super inspirational, you know, just as inspirational as anyone else you would see, you know, on a TED Talk or anything else out, out there for so many reasons. But you're obviously a very altruistic guy. You give back. You've, you know, you've met so many challenges in your life. Like, where does that care factor come from? I mean, I could be biased and say it's the Irish in you, but... Do you think it's environment? Is it nature versus nurture? Your parents, how you were brought up? Like, what do you think set that off inside of your own, you know, psyche? Uh, look, I think both my parents definitely were very, uh, uh, have been very uh, giving of their, their time and their energy to the community. Um, you know, we got involved in a lot of, and they were a lot of Irish events when I was younger. Um, so I think definitely uh, my parents uh, and, and that, that culture. Um, uh, look, I think the other thing, I, I am a pretty emotional sort of a guy. I think I haven't been in touch with that for a lot of my life, uh, you know, because I've been trying, you know, when I was younger, I was trying to be that, you know, uh, pr professional sort of uh, persona. Um, and for me, uh, actually just getting connected to uh, emotionally what gives me a feeling of um, doing the right thing, um, you know, it gives me a great deal of happiness. And I think I've been far more connected to that in the last couple of years than I, I had when I was younger. So... I don't know, um, probably the short answer, but I certainly had some very good examples in my, my parents and my family. Brilliant. Yeah, you had a family man, David, uh, and I think Neil probably can connect to this question more than I can at the moment, but what's a dad life like? Obviously being a successful CEO and doing everything else you're doing. How many kids? Do you have the Irish nine kids or...? or... <laughs> No, I, I've got I've got four children. Um, one of them I don't get to see Halfway. anywhere near as much. So um, you know that's one thing that I, I wish I was better at. Um, but you know, I've, I've the three children I've got down here. Um, they, they're just um, they look they they make me a better human. And I think for me, again, what children bring uh, is they they're very much in the present. They're very very grateful. Um, and um, for me, it's about trying to you know just be present with them because um, I think when I was younger, and I think. You know what, it's actually a lot of your listeners are, you know, probably in that bracket where, you know, a bit like you, Neil, you're just having your first children, you're, um, you know, you're working, you're trying to deal with mortgages, you're, you know, you're in the, the peak of the, the work effort in your career. Uh, and those things don't meld together very, very well. Um, you know, uh, it's very, very hard for so many people um, having a job, paying off a mortgage, having children and everything that comes with it. Um, and, and then this is when people have issues in, with their mental health is because there's no room, there's no space. And um, I, I'm just very, very grateful that, you know, I, I'm still young. I've just turned 40 this year um, and I'm, I'm having that time um, that I, my parents never got at this age um, to, to really focus on my children and, and, and my family um, and, and my health. Um, and, um, you know, I'm just very, very grateful for that. So. For children, you know, there's nothing more present than a child. So, you know, if you can get on their level, you know, playing with toys, taking on characters, like you're just there and you're nowhere else, then, you know, that's the essence of being present. So, yeah, the only one thing I would say about dad life is there's always cliches attached to everything. 
but for dad life the cliches are 100 true every single one of them sleep stress like oh my god it's and that's all i didn't have one so i have a bit to go to catch up with you but oh my god i always wanted four but now i'm like Ooh. yeah well i originally told my wife 10 but um <laughs> <laughs> I, I i i was it was a very foolish statement because i didn't know what was involved at that stage <laughs> And and so what's next for David O'Connor? Like let's say 22, 2022 and beyond. Uh, look, uh, I'm very fortunate to uh, be where I am uh, with um, uh, my uh, my my professional life, and um, I uh, I re- it's really about focusing on bu- building a, a values led business for us. So for the next couple of years, it's just about steadiness. Uh, you know, I talked about that marathon rather than sprint, and that's what we're setting ourselves up for is just a steady marathon uh, and a legacy that we can be proud of um and so look i definitely um i get more and more time to do things like what we're doing uh with with Batir and then that, that is an intention to continue to do that um but other than that i've been really really future focused my whole life uh, i've always been not focusing on where i am now and i've been focusing on 10 years into the future um and so for me, uh, I've never been in a place where I'm generally just dealing with today. Um, and as much as I get to do fun stuff around looking at the future of our business, um, you know, for me, it's actually just been focusing on what we're doing now. So even for the first time in my life, you know, even my little projects around the house and stuff, they're just focused on what I'm doing this week and, and next week, not about what I'm doing, you know, five and 10 years into the future. So for me, that's been a real, uh, a real gift. Um, and, um, and for me, I, I really want to stick in that vein. So... I'm not going to try to get too far ahead of myself. I'm going to fall into the next thing that happens uh, and just enjoy that process. Maybe a, a fifth child or I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think so. We get a, a, what do you call it? We get a burst of energy around that topic every now and again. <laughs> we, we get, we get, uh, no, actually, we're, uh, we are 40. Uh, it's not that that's old, but um, yeah. I think, you know, we'd be really we're grateful for what we've got. We're really grateful for what we've got and um, we keep coming back to that. So, I mean, it is... What you've just said there as well, you know, most of the time you go for an interview, people will ask you where you want to be in the next five years and everything. Yeah, you're right. Most of us are always thinking about the future, the house, the mortgage, the next job, the, the pay raise. So I think that's also like your train of thought there is quite refreshing as well. It's like maybe we just need to think about the, the day and be present because when you do that, you know, all the stresses will hopefully won't be as severe. So, yeah, well, yeah, well I, I like that. My dad used to say to me, he said, just remember the problem you're having today won't be there next week. Um, but, you know, I, um, what I do find is when you take all of that material that sits around in your head and uh, you think about the material that's either focused in the future or focused in the past, and you just take those two things out of your head, there's pretty much nothing left. Um, and it's much easier to be happier and grateful and present. So, you know, the future and the past are two things that really don't support our mental health. Uh, and the present is the one thing that does. So, wow. That's for, I'd actually do that, uh, that like exercise quite a lot. So, like a little brain dump. But what I'll do is I'll just get a big, had to start buying the like A5 bits of the big, big squares of paper because just visually I needed to write it down in a bigger bit of paper. So, I'd just write down everything that was in my head. But then I, I'd only circle the things that are literally. I can affect me within the next 24 to 48 hours. And I would look at it and be like, it's two things. It's two things. <laughs> like, I can probably do this in the next two hours. Like, I could yeah. just rattle it out and it's done. But until I'd done that, that, that was, it's such a powerful exercise. It takes 10 minutes 
and you instantly just go, oh my God, relax, man. There's nothing there. I do have to do it a lot. I have to do it probably the next day as well, but I have to do it a lot. But it's... Uh, Put my clothes yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also that issue around the past, you know, we all have, we always kicking ourselves for the smallest things. Um, and folks, oh, but if only I'd done this or, you know, and again, it takes such a huge portion of our, of our headspace. So, you know, those two things gone doesn't leave uh, much more room for, for just now. No, I love that. So we, we finish every episode, David, with a uh, little quick fire questions. Literally one or two word answers. Uh, four questions. Good to go? Yep. Yep. Okay, sweet. So first question, when are you at your happiest? Uh, right now. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, yes. On the <laughs> <laughs> uh, out of 10, where do you think the world is currently in terms of mental health awareness? I think we're a six. Out of 10, where are you currently with your own mental health? About an eight. And if you could recommend just one thing for people to do each day to improve their mental health, what would it be? Just to focus on the now. Great. Superb. Lovely. You failed that test, David, so we can't air the podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, it's actually really interesting because we're going to um, tally all those scores up at the end and... Gary and I have some ideas. There's so much good advice, like even that last one there about living in the now. Imagine if we just collated all those little bits of advice in one little toolkit. Like people would have so much up their sleeve. So yeah. watch, watch this uh, space for a, a bookstore near you sometime in the future. Yeah, no, look, uh, Gary, uh, Neil, thank you so much for having me. It's been real, real fun actually chatting to you. So you know, really, thank you very much, and um, I, I look forward to uh, you know hearing more of your podcast. No, oh, thanks, mate, and. Uh, I say this about what well, we say this about every guest, but there should be, we wish there was more David O'Connors in this world. Um, uh, they're doing some amazing things. And if anyone does want to get in touch with you, David, or find out more about your business, where, where can they find you? You're a hard man for Gary, our research diva to track down on the internet. <laughs> I think if you just Google David O'Connor or Caliber or Diana, there's, there's definitely the easiest way to Google. Um, and there's, there's, my, my, my email address is david.oconnor at calibergroup.com.au oh, no.au uh, so, well, that's, that's dangerous you might get some stalkers or fan, fanboys or fangirls <laughs> <laughs> well I think to be fair there's a lot of, it's easy to find a lot about you David in terms of from a business standpoint but like I've mentioned already I think you're massively inspirational of all the other things you're doing obviously there's a little bit about what you've done with Batir but like just the simple things that you've mentioned in terms of like what you're doing now, you've moved away to be spending more time with your family and what you've done to giving back to charity and how your business is focused around those values. Mm. There's a lot, to, it's very easy to find out how successful you've been. But I think those other things to me is, which makes me look up to you even more, which is amazing, mate. So credit to you. Uh, and I'd encourage people to find out or at least listen to this episode to see the amazing work you're doing. Oh, no, look, thank you. I've, I've failed enough times to figure a couple of things out. So um, yeah, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, you're right, amazing, mate. Spot on. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thank you guys. See you later. See you, nice your time, mate. Cheers, nice mate. to see you. Bye. 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 Oh, what a legend. He's so cool, isn't he? Ah, he's a legend, man. That's an absolute hero, man. He is. What a guy, man. Don't forget to follow us on all the social media channels, including Instagram and Twitter, at These Lands Are Mental. And if you do have a topic or a guest or subject that you want us to talk about, please do get in touch and send in your suggestions. Thanks for joining us on today's show. As mentioned at the beginning, if you are struggling with mental health, 
please do seek further assistance. Here's who you can get support from. Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Fitzier, and the Black Dog Institute.